series right now called Grounded. Um, a couple weeks ago, we began with an idea how life is made up of a lot of little choices, decisions that we must make. For the reality is that for most of the choices and the decisions we make, they have very little consequences. But there are decisions that we make every day of our life that is going to affect our lives. And we make these decisions based on all sorts of things. We make these decisions based upon our political leanings. We make these decisions based upon our environmental concerns. We make these decisions based upon our ideas of social justice. We make these ideas based upon an idea of what freedom means. We make these ideas based upon what my wife tells me to make. But each of the decisions and the, the choices we make come with consequences, some with very little, some with life-changing. They affect the relationships around us. And we began to deal with this idea that Jesus tells us that if we're going to make a decisions or if we're going to make choices that are going to stand the test of time, we need to base them on something more than our environmental policies or our political leanings or, or what our wife tells us. They must be based on something that is not going to be moved, that is not going to be knocked around, that stands the test of time. And Jesus told us that if you want to make a decision that is going to stand, we need to make them on his word, based upon his word. And we began to say that his word gives us a foundation that we can filter everything through. So our political leanings, we can begin to filter through. There are environmental ideas we can begin to filter through. And so we began to deal with this idea that God gives us a framework or a foundation to base our lives on that will help us stand tall. Last week, though, we began to say, well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we take the Bible and we say, this is God's word and this is what we're going to stand on. And so we're going to filter everything through the Bible. But we began to deal with this idea that sometimes we're not totally honest with it or about it. We start reading the Old Testament and, and, and I began to deal with this idea that as we read through the Old Testament, there's times when we take part of it and we love it and we tell our kids about it and we teach it. There's other parts that we memorize. There's other parts we kind of just skip over. There's other parts we just totally ignore. And there's other parts that we just kind of take so out of context, they really don't mean what they originally meant. And we began to say this is a bit of a problem because if we're going to base our lives on something that is solid, that is going to last us through the test of times, is it not helpful if we do it properly? And so we began to say, as we began to look at the Old Testament, we began to say, well, what do we do with it? How do we treat it? I mean, because honestly, as I read through it, it gets a bit difficult. And we began to look at the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul says that these things that were written to us were, were to help us, to teach us that there was a better way. In fact, Paul tells us this is not what we're to stand on. We're not to... We're not to go back to the Old Testament law and we're not to try to start fulfilling the, the Jewish rites and customs. In fact, he says we're beyond that, but it was to teach us. And so we, we look through the Old Testament, we begin to see it as a guide that helps us to understand. And we're gonna kind of move that on a little bit and we're gonna kind of push that idea just a little bit farther today to help us maybe understand where we're at. One of the biggest hangups that 
really a lot of people use, well, I can't become a follower of Jesus Christ, is if you go back to the Old Testament, there's all this stuff back there that, that just, I, I, can't, I can't get it. I can't, I, I try to read it, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, as we begin to read through Moses and he begins to set up a sacrificial system, it doesn't make sense. It just, look, pastor, and I've heard this quite a few times, pastor, hey, I don't mind the Jesus stuff, but if we're mixing Jesus with, I don't know, I can't go that way. And let's be honest, let's look at it today and let's say, what are we doing with the Old Testament? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do we still have something to stand on? And I'm gonna see if we can just move this on a little bit today and then we're gonna just kind of skip over. We really don't have a whole lot of time to deal with it, but I would wish we had a couple months to kind of delve into this idea. If you ever read the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, let's just, let's just start. There. I'm gonna have Dave real quickly put this up. We, as we read through the Old Testament, we begin to realize that there's some awesome stories. We read the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments, we read the story of Noah's Ark. We read the story of, of Abraham and Isaac. And, and we read the story of Daniel. And there's all these great stories. And, and we kind of look at them and we don't know how to take them beyond that. And then as we, we, we kind of look at Moses and the idea of Moses though, Moses did more than just give us the Ten Commandments. If you haven't read through the Old Testament lately, we realize that Moses did a whole lot more than the Ten Commandments. In fact, the whole book of Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy is a lot of about a, it's a, not just a story of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, but it's a story of God actually helping Moses to set up a whole worship system. Sacrifices and tabernacles and priests, and it just goes on. And so as we get to the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter one, verses one through four, we begin to read about how God is setting up this whole system with Moses, and he says this, the Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be, so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death and in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Now, if you continue to read through the book of Leviticus chapter one, it doesn't get any better. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It is hard to read. Even as a pastor, I sit there and I read this and I sometimes look at it and it's like, I'm not really sure how to, what do I do with all this? Is this still relevant for us? Is this still something we need today? And, and be honest, if you talk about this with someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, rightly so, they go, uh, no, I'm not going down that path. I ain't bringing any sheep in my backyard and we're not gonna do anything with any kind of burnt offering in my backyard. It's not happening. And honestly, as a pastor, I'm saying the same thing. It's not happening. I'm not putting any sheep in my backyard to go to an altar and I'm not burning anything. I don't wanna get arrested, okay? I want my neighbors to still like me. So what do we do with this? Is it still relevant? Is it still a purpose for us? Well, last week we began to look at this idea where the Apostle Paul begins to say, 
the Old Testament or that old promise is done. But as we look at that old promise, that old promise is done, but it still has a purpose because it drew people to something bigger that was to come. It doesn't have a purpose for us today. We don't need to worry about going out. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says, it is completed, it is finished. Don't go out and do it. Okay, I'll be worried about you. If I find you raising lambs in your backyard for this, I will be scared for you. And I might have to come and... We don't do this anymore. Paul says, this was a teacher to teach us, to help us to understand... And so what we're going to do today is we're going to begin to look at what did it help us to begin to understand. We knew that, that Paul says this was a teacher to help the Jewish people, but does it still have something that it can help us with today? And I believe it does. Let me help us to understand. This last week, we have gone through a very hard part in our nation's history. We've just finished watching the trial of George Chauvin, and I don't want to get into any of the political side of it, but I do want to say this. As we watched that trial, that trial hinged upon one thing. It hinged upon the video that a 17-year-old girl took. And can I say this? I'm pretty confident if we were relying solely upon witness testimony, we probably would have had a different outcome. But what people see affects what people do, how they feel. And because of that video, we had an outcome in a trial that went a certain direction. Let me kind of go on a little bit more. Let me explain this a bit more. A little over a year ago, as my family were driving to church, we were coming up the road, and I won't even say where because I don't want you to, you can still hunt it down and it's still in the papers. But we were coming down the road and coming the other side in front of us there, there was a car that decided to speed through a red light. As that car went speeding through a red light, going way faster than it should, another car was coming on the other direction, was coming through its green light. As the car was coming through its green light and the other car was going through its red light, the car in the green light hit the car going through the red. It hit it at such a force that the car literally split in two the driver and its seat were flung out. And you could see the dust and you see everything just the mayhem around. And it shook my family up. We read later, there was a ton of cars that stopped almost immediately and we decided it was probably better we didn't add to the mayhem. So we hit it off and got up onto the freeway and moved around. Um, but we found out later that the two passengers in the, or the two, the driver and the passenger of the one car that drove through the red light were killed. Now, as I tell you that story, here's the reality. You listen to it and you go, yeah, that's sad. That's, that's intriguing, but sad. But it does no more to you than that. For those in my car, my family who saw it that day, it shook us up. When you see a car split in half and you see the mayhem that goes on around it, it shook us up and it caused me to begin to ask questions, questions such as, 
I wonder if there's a way to monitor speed better. I wonder if we should have red light cameras. I wonder if there's a way I should drive better. I wonder if there's something we could do to, to slow people down from driving through red lights. I wonder if I should drive differently. You know what the difference is? What I saw affected my life. It affects it more than what you hear. It's a little bit like this too. We're coming through a season where we've just finished off, and we're not even done, and let me rephrase that, but we've been coming through the season that is not quite finished off yet, dealing with this coronavirus. For the vast majority of us who simply have had to hear stories about it on television, we read about what goes on in India and we go, "Ah, that's awful, that's terrible. We've heard about the statistics about how how in the United States, about all of the lives that have been lost, and we go, that's terrible, that's awful. But for the vast majority of it, it it has no effect on us because it, it hasn't affected anyone personally, we know. But there have been a few of you in here who have been affected personally by this virus. Some of you have lost loved ones due to this virus. And for those of you who've lost loved ones, it does something different than the rest of us who've just heard about it. To you who've lost a loved one, you go, you don't understand. This is awful. This is terrible. For the rest of us who haven't do it, we say, yeah, that's awful. That's terrible. Yeah. But we continue to go on our life. You see, that's what we begin to deal with when we begin to deal with this Old Testament as we begin to deal with the Old Testament law that dealt with the sacrificing of animals. We can read about today and we go, this is awful. This is terrible. You see, it was to be a law that helped the nation of Israel understand the consequences of its sin. And we can say that and we go, yeah, that's awful. That's terrible. And if I was to tell you today that wrongdoing has a consequence, you would do what? You're right, yeah. When we do wrong, it has a consequence. We know that, don't we? But we know that mentally, we know that within our head, but we struggle to get that to our hearts. So for example, I can tell you it is wrong to cheat on your IRS, on your, on your taxes, and you can say, it's wrong, yes. But until the IRS comes down and does an audit on you, It's just that, yeah, that's wrong. When they come back and do an audit on you, then you go, this is terrible. You guys don't understand what the IRS can do to you. You shouldn't do this. I can talk to you how how lying to your boss is not a good idea. And you would do this. Yeah, you're right. It's not a good idea. But until you actually get caught out lying to your boss, it's just simply a, yeah, it's not a good idea. We know there's a consequence to it if we do it. But the reality is, is until it affects us personally, until we see the outcome with our own eyes, we struggle with the reality. We can talk about drink driving and how bad it is and the consequences. But for some of us who've actually been involved in an accident where a drunk driver has hit us, something changes when you're a part of it. You see, we can know something mentally and we can talk about it, we can, we can run around about it. And in fact, we can do all sorts of that's just terrible, that's awful. But until it is viewed with our own eyes, until it is experienced with our own going through it, it becomes 
words. God set up the Ten Commandments, and as God set up the Ten Commandments, he said, there are ten basic rules that I want you to follow. And most of us, we could name a couple. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not lie. You should honor your mother and father. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, we can go through it. I mean, we, we can kind of start, kind of, what are the Ten Commandments? And we can start going through it. And we can talk about it. And we can even say this. When we break those commands, there's a consequence or there are problems with it. And so we can begin talking about, hey, when you steal, there's, there's broken relationships. There's things that hurt. And we know that. When we lie, we can say, hey, yeah, we know that there, there are consequences for the wrongdoing. And we can shake our head and say, yes, I know that. You shall not steal, thou shalt not lie. You shall honor your father and mother. And when we don't honor our, our family members, we, we know how disrespect, and we, we can shake our head. But when God gave us the Ten Commandments, he stops and he deals with this idea that that relationship is broken. And it's not just that it's broken, but it has terrible consequences. And some of those consequences are devastating. And we know this because really most of us have dealt with at certain times in our life when we have done something wrong and, and we've had to face the music. And so as God was saying, here you go, I, I've got a set of 10 laws I want you to follow, but here's the reality. Unless you actually are going to see the outcome, you're never gonna get it. And so as God begins to set up the Levitical system or the sacrificial system, he says this, I want you once a year, I want you to grab a sheep, I want you to grab a goat, I want you to grab a young calf, as cute and as cuddly as that thing is. I want you to have a picture of what the consequences of your actions, of your wrongdoing will do. I need you to see that the reality is is that when you do wrong, the innocent pays the price. You see, so often we fail to get it. We, yeah, we understand it. We understand it when the guilty gets punished. But how many times do we understand the reality that when we do wrong, it's not just the guilty that gets punished, it is the innocent. It's not fair. You're absolutely right. It is not fair. But that's the reality of life, isn't it? When someone does wrong, and I love the way Andy Stanley says this, he always says it like this, somebody else's irresponsibility becomes someone else's responsibility. We know that because we see it within, if you go to work, you know that when someone does not fulfill their role that they're paid to do, then someone else has to pick up the slack. We see it in families when, when someone in the family does wrong, it affects the whole family. You see, we get it when, when the picture is, is, yeah, you did wrong, you pay the consequence. But God was setting up a system to help us to understand, and, and he says, I want you to understand that when you do wrong, it's not you who just pays the consequence, it is the innocent. 
And so I want you to see this as a visible picture every year. I want you to grab a young lamb, a young kid goat, a young calf, and I want you to bring it before the temple. And I want you to bring it before the priest and lay your hands on it together. And if we read it, it's the idea that they were to lay their hands on it together. And then the priest was to take the life of that animal, spill its blood, and then place that animal on the altar as a sacrifice to remind them to help them get a picture of something awful, of something brutal, of something that's not fair, that is not right. It's an awful system. It's horrendous. I don't like it. You see, I want the guilty to be punished. If I do wrong, lay it on me. If you do wrong, I'm going to lay it on you. But the reality is, as God reminds us, it is not the guilty who always pay. It is the innocent who will usually end up paying the consequence. So what do we do with it? We have this terrible picture that God sets up. He says, I wanted these Jewish people, I was trying to teach them that when they do wrong, and so he set up a picture, a visible picture. So what do we do with it today? Well, Romans chapter 15, verse four. Now I'm gonna keep Dave's finger hot on his little button back there because we're gonna read through a bunch of scriptures here in just a moment, and I, I was trying to not, but I can only do this. So Romans chapter 15, verse four says this, such things were written in the scripture long ago, to teach us. Paul does not advocate. In fact, he makes it very clear that is done away with, but we still need to learn from it. We need to see the picture. In fact, Paul does a step farther because he begins to tie that picture of what had happened to another picture. In Romans chapter 10, verse four, he goes on to say this, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. In other words, Paul says that sacrifice that was set up, he did a better sacrifice to finish it, to complete it. It is done. It is no more. We need to look at that as awful, as gruesome, as terrible, because something complete has finished it. The writer of the book of Hebrews, and so I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna go through and read 18 verses to help us just get this. I would not normally do this, but the writer of the book of Hebrews put this in such a simple way that I think it will help pull all of this together. And he goes on to say this. So Dave, keep that finger. You might just start going like this, okay? Here we go. Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through 18. And here's what the writer says. The old system... That was the sacrifices, all of that blood, all that gore, all that guts, that stuff that we look at and we say, I don't know what to do with. He goes on to say that old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifice under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifice would have stopped 
for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under that old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered God or offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is my new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. I'll be honest, what do you do with the old? I find it a struggle. And by the way, adult Sunday school starts again next week, next Sunday, and Rodney is starting you in the Old Testament. So plan to be here at nine o'clock, because that's my plug for Sunday school for the adult Sunday school class. But what do we do with the old? What do we do when we read about this? We need to see it what it is. It was a picture to draw people to a better sacrifice. There was a realization that no matter how many times they offered up an animal, a goat, a sheep, a calf, it wasn't doing anything. It was simply, in a sense, pushing off of their responsibly. God, I did what I was supposed to do. I see the picture. I get it. But it offered no forgiveness of sin. It offered no completion. And God did something better. It pointed toward a sacrifice that finished it, completed it. It's done. No more required. And that was himself. came and he said, yeah, you're right. Your wrongdoing, the things that you do that you know are wrong, it's going to cost somebody. But I'll take that upon myself. 
Those animals were to push you and to point you to something better to come, something that could complete it, that would finish it. It was to draw you to me. I still find reading the Old Testament hard. But when I begin to understand that I have to have, that in my own life, I still draw on the pictures. I cannot simply read a testimony and say, I take it for what it is. I still deal within that realm that I have to see the picture. And you know what? It's hard. But that's the way we are. That's the way I work. And I pretty much assume it's probably the way you work. Until you see it, you're not really affected much by it. God wants us to see it. And I dislike it. And I'm so glad he finished it. He completed it. I'm so glad there's a better way. So what do you do with the old? Read it. Learn from it. And thank God that there's a better system today. Father, this morning... Look, we come and really dealing with a subject, Father, that stumps and it causes so many people to struggle. We don't really know what to do with the old half the time. We look at it and we read it and we just say, that's cruel, that's unusual, that's just, I, I don't get it, it's not fair. But Father, when we begin to understand that you're a good God, that you're a holy God, and that the wrong we do has consequences. It has consequences within our relationships with each other. It has consequences within our relationship with you. And you were trying to help that little nation to understand. As you set up that system. That when we do wrong. The innocent pays a price. We see that within our own families. When we do wrong, other family members pay a price. When we do wrong, other work colleagues end up paying a price. When we do wrong, society around us pays a price. And we wish it wasn't true, but Father, we know it is true because we have felt it. Father, as we look at that, all I can say is thank you that you finished it. You completed it. You provided a better way, a better promise. But that old, Lord, you said, you put a tick on it, say it's done, no more. Complete. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed real quickly, I just want to ask you a very personal question. What do you do with the wrong in your life? Do you just carry it? Do you hold on to it? Do we take the wrong that we have and do we, do we push it out and try to spread it across our family? Do, do we take it and just carry it and try to push it down deep, down inside and say, well, I, there's nothing else to do with it. I got to deal with it myself. Or do we stop as that picture was trying to show us that there is a sacrifice that was completed that says it's done. The innocent is paid for the guilty. God himself came to earth. 
says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. We're told in John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not have to perish, but have eternal life. This morning, if you've never had a moment where you've been able to take that wrongdoing, that guilt, that stuff that lingers, that holds deep within our lives, if you've never been able to stop and hand that over to God, he paid that sacrifice. He paid the price. You don't need to hang on to it yourself anymore. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. I would encourage you today, just take this moment to say, God, thank you that you were that final sacrifice, that Lord, that shows us how the guilty sometimes gets away with terrible things because an innocent pays for its consequences. And Lord, that's what you did for me. You paid my price. And so I just want to stop and I want to say thank you. And I want to give you this stuff that just weighs me down. This guilt is wrongdoing. Let me hand it to you. Let me give it to you. He paid the price. He finished it. It's done. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this opportunity to come and just look at for a moment the picture of what you did for us. We want to say we love you. In your name we pray.